Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. All right, so Psalm 107, it's very long, Stella said, right? So Stella read the first half of the psalm, and I'm going to read the entirety of the second half of the psalm in service of this worship series that we're in right now. It's called Praying in a Crowded House. And we're letting the sort of greatest hits prayers of our ancestors from the psalms show us how our limited language can be employed to help our hearts near, draw near to God's heart. It's, it's not so much, I mean, this series is not so much about how our prayers work on God, but rather about how our prayers are shaping us, the prayers. So last week, we talked about praying to awaken to the possibility of God in this world. And this week, we are praying to remember and thus to hope. So here is the second half of Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the mighty waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, God's wondrous works in the deep. For God commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and the Lord brought them out from their distress. The Lord made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and God brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love, for God's wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol the Lord in the congregation of the people and praise God in the assembly of the elders. The Lord turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. And the Lord turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there the Lord lets the hungry live and they establish a town to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By the Lord's blessing, they multiply greatly and God does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, The Lord pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But the Lord raises up the needy out of distress and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness stops its mouth. Let those who are wise give heed to these things. And consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
I had to ask my mom because I had forgotten, again, the details. Which granddaddy, which sickness, which tiny Texas town? I could have filled in all those details from my own imagination and the gist of the story would be the same, depending on which gist I decided to tell you tonight. Gist number one. My ancestors were hardy immigrants to this country, hardworking, never wealthy, steady in their daily efforts to earn daily bread for themselves, generous enough to share with their neighbors, but not so foolish as to not protect what was theirs. When my great-great-granddaddy, Heffington, fell ill with a bellyache that doubled him over and brought him to the floor, and when my great-great-grandmother, Heffington, scalded her palm on his fiery hot forehead, they sent for the doctor. No phone, no hospital, no 911. Just run, boy, get him here. The doctor said it must be cancer somewhere in his abdominal cavity. He had to get it out right now, tonight, or the fever of infection would kill his patient. The kitchen table was too short. Great-great-granddaddy was too tall. So the boys took one of the bedroom doors off its hinges and laid it across two sawhorses in the backyard. They held lamps for the good doctor to see by, and the surgery commenced. No mention of the doctor's fee was made in advance. He knew my family. He knew that they would pay the bill, even if it took a year to do it, and even if they paid it partially in pies and eggs. They were strong, my ancestors. But my great-great-granddaddy did not survive that surgery. His widow and children were left to care for each other, which they did. The oldest child, Esther, took her four little brothers to the fields of their neighbors to pick cotton, and together they kept the family going. My ancestors were strong. These are the people I came from, and this is what makes me who I am. Just number two. Cancer is a bitch. It is chaotic evil, nothing more. Ruthlessly dividing cells that invade where they are not welcome, eating what they have not been offered. It lives in all of us, the capacity for cancer. And when its evil red eye wakes up in you, it is relentless in its destruction. The poor suffer disproportionately. Had my great-great-granddaddy great not been poor, he might have received medical attention before the disease ravaged his body. But he worked every waking hour until he got too sick to keep working. There was neither time nor money to ask for a physician's help until it was far too late. An emergency surgery in the dusty squalor behind their shack hastened his death. The doctor never suggested a hospital, knowing that these poor immigrants could never afford such accommodations. But the sobbing, shrieking wife, the silently terrified children, well, they had to try something, even if only to pacify their clamoring for help. So he had the sons set up a dirty surgery under the cold, heartless stars, and he cut. As soon as he opened the cavity, he knew 
this man would die tonight and leave these children alone with a mother who could not take care of them. Indeed, great-great-granny Heffington slid into a stupor that night and never surfaced again. Depression, we would call it now, and she was pretty well catatonic for the rest of her life. While one of her daughters, Esther, took all four boys out of school to tend other people's cotton, the pennies they made barely enough for the family's subsistence, her other daughter stayed at home by her mother's side until mother followed her husband in death, unable to care for herself or her children, who grew up mighty fast in that long season of deprivation and grief. Cancer is a bitch. This is the legacy of senseless disease and poverty, and this is what makes me who I am. Gist number three. Something, something, science. Cancer is amoral. Everybody dies. Backyard surgery on a bedroom door was always a bad idea, but perhaps the least worst idea that day especially given the all-too-human insistence on doing something rather than nothing. This is par for the human course, and this is what makes us all who we are. I could do this all night, but maybe you're getting the idea already? That there's more than one way to tell a story? There are more than several ways to make meaning or deny meaning when we talk about what has happened to us. That story about great-great-granddaddy Heffington could be told in so many ways, all of which, hear me, would be true if we did not alter the basic facts of disease and death and the door which is the piece that makes this broadly human story uniquely my family's story. The 107th Psalm is a compilation of great-great-granddaddy stories. There are four narratives of specific catastrophes in that poem prayer, like four stanzas of a song. First, there is the one about being lost for a long time, starting in verses four and five, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Second, there is the one about being incarcerated, starting in verses 10 and 11. Some sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Third, there's the one about getting sick. So sick you think you're going to die. Beginning in verses 17 and 18, some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. And finally, fourth, there is the one about being at sea during a serious storm, afraid of a shipwreck. In verses 23 through 27, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the mighty waters. The storm came. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. 
Perhaps you noticed in the reading that each of the four stanzas in this prayerful song follows a pattern. First, they describe the emergency, being lost, being imprisoned, etc. And then in each case, those who were caught in the crisis cry out for God to help. And God delivers, saves, saves, brings them out from their distress and near destruction. Four times. For the ones who were lost, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and God delivered them from their distress. For the ones incarcerated, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and God saved them from their distress. The ones who were sick, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and God saved them from their distress. And the ones who were on the storm-tossed sea, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and God brought them out from their distress. In each case, God's deliverance is specific to the crisis. For the ones lost in the wilderness, God leads them to an inhabited town where they can get food and water. For the ones in prison, God breaks the chains and the doors and sets them free. For the sick, God sends a word, and it is a word of healing. For the sailors who fear drowning, God stills the wind and hushes the waves and sails the boat into a safe harbor. Finally, just to complete this torturously pedantic analysis of the poem, each of the four stanzas concludes with an exhortation, or perhaps an invitation, depending on how you take it. From the ones who once were lost, but now are found, let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love for God's wonderful works to humankind. For the ones who were formerly incarcerated, let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love for God's wonderful works to humankind. From those who were sick, but now are healed, let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love for God's wonderful works to humankind. From the sailors back on land after a hard night at sea, let them thank the Lord for this steadfast love for God's wonderful works to humankind. Now, my own experience of how we tell stories in various ways, depending on the meaning that we're more inclined to make on any given day, tells me that for each of these four rescue narratives in the 107th Psalm, there are many more ways the story could have been told. Like the spouse who didn't count on losing cell service in the mountains and who wouldn't stop to ask for directions. Or the heroic parent who navigated their lost family to safety in an emergency using the stars and their common sense. Like the school-to-prison pipeline in a carceral state that punishes poverty, caging black and brown boys at a disproportionate rate. Or the dedicated volunteers of the Innocence Project working tirelessly to process evidence that overturns bad verdicts. Like the contagious sickness from which some recovered, but many others did not. Or the valiant healthcare workers who sacrificed their own well-being to care for the dangerously ill. Like 
the lazy leadership that did not prepare for the inevitable storm, putting everyone's life at risk when the winds arose, or the steadfast captain who inspired the whole team to pull together for sure. Potentially all true, all variations on the stories of the 107th Psalm. Or, and this is the narrative that Psalm 107 is putting out there again and again. It was God, through and through. And not everybody survived the catastrophe we just endured, but we who did are here now to tell the story of God's faithful presence and effective power. It was bad, it was really bad, and we were desperate, so very desperate. And when we cried out, God heard us, and God did what only God could do. And we stand before you tonight to say that all praise is due the one who delivered, saved, saved, brought us out from our distress. It seems to me that one of the functions of a prayer of thanksgiving like Psalm 107 is to let the prayer try on a new way of telling the same story. Like going into a dressing room to try on a new outfit to see if it fits, to see if it feels right, to see if you can imagine yourself wearing it outside of this dressing room in the future. When we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance, we simply tell the story of what happened the best we can, and then we say, here I am to tell about it. Thanks be to God. Here I am to share with you the season I spent lost in sadness and confusion. Here I am to own up to the years of my imprisoning addiction. Here I am to tell about the cancer or the COVID. Here I am to name how dizzying it has been to go through all these changes, how my feet have not stood on solid ground for so long. And here I am on the other side of that suffering. And with the gift of some hindsight, I am learning to say, here I am, thanks be to God. Here I am. Psalm 107 is not saying that thanks be to God is the only true story that can be told about what happened to you. But it is inviting us to try it on, to practice that way of saying what happened. Prayer, in this instance, opens up a possibility where catastrophes are not meaningless, where sufferers are not left alone to survive by their own devices, where God is paying attention and ready to act, where at least some sad stories have happy endings because God's love is steadfast. Here is not what I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying that everything turns out fine for people who cry out to God in prayer. And that the only faithful way to narrate your life is by praising the Lord for every single shitty thing you've been through. We would all know it wasn't true. Not in every case, not every time. And this church, I promise, 
This church will never require that you pretend to believe something you don't. But here is what I'm saying, because I think it might be what the psalm is saying to us tonight, that God wants to be one of your possible meaning-making narrations of how your life has gone up to now and how you have come through all that you have survived. God wants a chance to be in your story. And I think that means that we, as people who are trying our best to remember that we are God's people, have got to give each other chances to try it on. This narration of distress and deliverance, this thanksgiving for God's loyal love at our lowest point. And I think, for what it's worth, that it's important for us to practice it together. Because I know some of us aren't ready yet. Some of us are still stuck in the jail cell or the desert, still ill and seasick, too beat down and unsteady on our feet for an honest thanks be to God. And some of us, honestly, might never be ready. The song of God's steadfast love might always sound like a hollow lie in our own mouths. But the grace of the Psalms is that they are a hymnal for singing and praying together. See? So if on any given night your story doesn't have a speck of God in it, I really think it's okay. Some of us can sing it out. And some of us can just listen. So add this to your idea of what faithful prayer sounds like. It sounds like one potentially true way of telling your story where God delivered, saved, saved, brought you out from your distress. A prayer of possibility where thanks be to God might just be true. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, We'll continually send you thanks. Peace.